0: The Fallon Forum this week. Uh, We're broadcasting as we always do from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa, bringing you progressive talk uh, across the political divide. Thanks to our local business partners here at the Des Moines Metro who helped make this program possible, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store. And they've got a cafe open seven days a week, Monday through Sunday. You can also order your groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. They've got a catering service as well and a floral service. Check them out folks. Gateway Marketing Cafe. Alright, thanks to uh, thanks to the folks we've got on this program today. Looking ahead uh, to bring it up, uh, wrap it up today. Kathy Burns is going to join us. We're going to be talking about drought monitoring. Yep, things may be going from bad to worse on that front. Also joining us, Anessa Kostadzovic. We're going to be talking about the confluence of climate and fashion, something I know nothing about. We'll also be talking about uh, Iowa made the New York Times. Yay for us. Uh, uh, we're now pretty solidly red, and that's why we made the New York Times. Uh, we'll also talk about the uh, life after Trump for the GOP. Is there life after Trump for the GOP, and what does it look like? But first, Is there I want to GOP that isn't Trump. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I want to welcome Charles Goldman to the program. Here, we're going to talk about those things with Charles. We're also going to kick it off by talking about climate change. Charles, you 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 said you want to talk about climate change, the big picture. I'm a little nervous. I don't know quite what that mm-hmm. means, but uh, what's on your mind?
1: Well, I I think that we've we've talked about climate change in a very limited fashion. Actually, I mean, as much as we talk about it, in that you know the the Earth is 4 billion years old. Um, recorded history, human history, is 5,000 5, years uh, into okay. the past. And your point is? My point is is that we are living in actually one of the most unusually stable climatary times in the last million years on the Earth. Well, good for us. And essentially, <laughs> um, I think it, it's really intriguing to take a little bit of a look back on what is it like to live on an earth which for the most part has been much hotter than this in the past. Um, The
0: the way past, we're talking about long, long time ago. Well, but Um, the majority,
1: well, obviously pre-human history, that's correct. But the majority of time that the earth has existed, it was far hotter and CO2 levels were astronomically higher uh, about five, six million years ago.
0: But right now, the CO2 levels are highest they've been in 800,000 years or more.
1: It, they are where they they're equivalent to where they were about three million years ago. Three
0: million years ago. That's See, correct. There you go. Understating the fact. Right. I mean, that's really that's really incredible that we have initiated that dramatic of a change in such a short period of time. Well, and
1: and, and I think that that's why it's intriguing to look back and and let's go back three million years ago. Uh, where were the oceans? The oceans were forty to fifty feet higher at that point. And that in fact it it's a little unclear why they aren't already substantially higher, except for the fact that. In the past, there were very few glaciation periods. Remember, we are, and this is an important point, um, most of human evolution, uh, homo sapien evolution, has occurred coming out of the last ice age. And we are physiologically attuned to living in a much cooler world than existed 5, 6 million years ago on the Earth. And um, plants are much more attuned to living in a much cooler world. So we've essentially accelerated this process um, to the point that it's a little unclear that any biologic entity on Earth can really adapt that quickly. Uh, we're not getting even cockroaches? No,, well, maybe maybe cockroaches. You know, but I, I think that, that puts it in a real context, which is that we are not built for increasing heat. Right. Uh, forget about the fact that the east coast of, the, of what is now the United States was 90 miles inland. The last time uh, CO two levels were this high. Um, the other thing to think about is that we are we, not we said, in control of this process because most of the big changes that led to the cooling or the heating in the Earth, the things we have no control over. Oh, yeah, but that's but that's very very gradual. What we're doing, we are in control of the processes currently. They're yes, happening because but I, we
0: are making the wrong choices.
1: That's correct. But what I'm saying is, is that you also have to understand. That there are going to be processes, no matter what we do about climate change right now, that are going to be out of our control. I'm not talking about Armageddon, like you know well, well, meteor hitting us, but
0: yeah, yeah we, which could happen. Yeah, we've yeah. we've set wheels in motion that are going to have feedback loops that we have no control over at this point. Correct. Okay, but so I I don't I don't fight. for a minute there I thought you were maybe uh, channeling your your friends in the Q and movement there, Charles, uh, referencing the four billion years of the Earth and uh, and the uh, the uh, time span since it's been. Uh, this cool and how hot it usually is on the planet Earth. I mean, those the most most deniers I talk with say, well, the Earth's climate is always changing. Well, that's true, and that is absolutely.
1: And you're saying correct. that,
0: but you're you, you
1: Well, what I'm saying is, is that we have to also have a bit of humility here, which is that yeah, that'd be nice, <laughs> right? Maybe a lot of humility. A lot of humility, but but understand that that things that have happened on Earth that have changed the climate drastically and actually made the way for us to be able to succeed. As a species. As a species, where things like, we never talk about, volcanism, volcanoes, has a huge effect on how much CO2 is in the air. Right. Uh, Continental uplift from, you know, things like the subcontinent of India slamming into what is now Asia, raises the, you know, raises the Himalayas. 10 to 15 to 20 percent of the CO2 that's absorbed out of the atmosphere is absorbed into mountains through rainfall, weathering mountains. Um, and all yeah, that
0: man, stuff, what's the time span for the subcontinent of India to smash into Asia and create but, the Himalayas? Yeah,
1: I understand that. But yeah. All I'm saying is that I think you have to think of climate change in that context. We have to be more educated what, to understand that there are systems right, that what, we cannot put into a model. Okay, so what's, what's the point in even bothering to think about that scale?
0: That scale is so beyond anything that we have experienced or will experience.
1: Well What's we have point? experienced it. I mean ninety eight percent of what has been alive on this earth yeah, is extinct okay. now. Right, right. Well yeah and I think um, that, that we need to have the humility <laughs> to understand that our extinction event will come. We may be hastening it, but you know, that we have to have a certain humility to the earth, towards the
0: earth. Oh, oh totally get that. Oh, totally get that. Yes. Yeah, but um but to you know, to, to put it in perspective, we have a very, very small window of perspective of of our humanity is a very small eon. Uh, what i want gonna say, Charles, help me out yeah. here. We're we're just a blip. We are a blip, <laughs> and we and, and we have to take that blip very seriously. Right, and we are a blip. But yes, and, humility, yeah, sure, but we have we to take it it very blip, seriously. We are a blip,
1: but let's but let's ask the question of what would the earth, what did the earth look like when it was as hot as we probably are driving it to? Massive dinosaurs. Well, no, I'm talking about the dinosaurs. But you <laughs> know, <laughs> at, at, at times when CO two has gotten this high in the earth, the Arctic had no ice. There were forests up in the Arctic. The Sahara has changed from green to desert four or five times through the history of the Earth. Mm-hmm. I think that, that maybe instead of just haranguing people about their cars and everything else, if we educated people about you know, what we don't teach people anymore, Earth science, it's pretty amazing, actually, the, the factors that go into this self-correcting system. And we are, as you point out, We're starting to exceed the self-correcting system because the system was made for a relatively inertial kind of change, incremental change. And we've clearly changed the atmosphere in less than 100
0: years. Yeah, This is interesting from a scientific point of view, but I'm not sure what value it serves functionally in terms of encouraging humanity to begin to address the problem we've created. Uh, It helps
1: because, as you point out, we're a blip in time but we are shortening our blip in time, you know, and-, and We could be a big
0: blip, we're just a little
1: blip. We are, I mean, and again, if, if humanity had more humility, it wouldn't ex- see itself as exploiting the earth in the way it does as an appropriate behavior. And also again, we are shortening a, a aberration for the climate to have been as stable as it's been is unusual. And we are shortening what time we have by what we're doing. So I'm not, I'm not arguing we shouldn't deal with, with climate change.
0: Right, okay. And I'm
1: not arguing, but I also want to say, you know, that there, although the deniers aren't saying that for this reason, it is true. And that's because there are things that we have no control over that change. I mean, the, the Earth changes its inclination toward the sun every 20 years. It changes where, who gets the heat that's just the nature of a planet that wobbles right. through the atmosphere you know through the solar system right. so I, I actually think if we had some of these big concepts in mind instead of teaching people re, you know little increments of information
0: maybe they would be more respectful of this i yeah I, I,
1: know, and that's you know, an
0: interesting interesting theory i don't know how to test that out i don't know if our public school system is designed to be able to accommodate uh, that experiment <laughs> but i think the uh, you know I, I like to try to find ways of getting people to understand what you know, a better way to live on this planet that are maybe less cerebral and more connected to their daily lives. Uh, not I, again. I get what you're saying. It's uh, an an important uh, perspective to remember, but I don't know how helpful it is in terms of addressing the climate crisis.
1: No, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't. I don't totally agree because I think that you know showing the the absolute. You know, pantheon of science to be able to to have so much information about what happened five and six million years ago. How we get that information? How we know that when you expose a whole bunch of what used to be under ice, that becomes a feedback loop Mm. to make the Earth absorb more heat. You know, and it's not just greenhouse gases. It's it's all sorts of mechanisms by which we've heated the Earth. But our main contribution, obviously, has been greenhouse gases. Yeah,
0: and I think the fun is just starting. And I use the word fun very facetiously. I think it's going to be. Pretty horrific, and uh, I think the uh, changes that we, I mean, science is kind of predicting this stuff. But you know, do, do they really have? A, well, do we I, really have a sense of how interesting it's this, going this is? I'm using lots of yeah, euphemisms here. Right. This is this is the way I would see it. Um,
1: if the Arctic was you know ice free and there were forests up there at one time, same thing in the Antarctic was almost ice free. What kind of migration are we as humans going to have to do? To be able to accommodate that, clearly the zones of heat and cool in this world are going yeah. to change.
0: Well, as Kathy and I are going to talk about later in the program, with uh, the, the West uh, drought getting worse, there may be a big migration to Iowa. <laughs> well, so be
1: prepared for that. Well, but no, it's it, it, you know it's insane. We have these cities on the East Coast where their you know housing going up twenty and twenty-five percent. They're going to be on water. Yeah, I there know. is no stopping
0: that. Hey, we got to go to a short break. Uh, Charles is going to stick with us, folks. When we come back, we're going to be talking about. Life for the GOP after Trump, if it exists at all. Back in a minute, folks, with you on the Fallon Forum. Gateway and Cafe is Des Moines' locally-owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
2: Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design build services for high performance, low maintenance affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham has been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yup, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much as possible, view images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com, that's architecturebysynthesis.com. Welcome
0: back to Ed Fountain with you here, folks. Uh, thanks to our local business partners. Thanks to Architecture by Synthesis, where architect uh, Mark Clipsham has been uh, doing interesting work for a long time. Build, uh, b- design build, building stuff, um, homes and other buildings. He even takes old grain, not old grain build. He takes grain bins, rather, and makes them into structures that you can live in, work in, play in, worship in. Fascinating stuff. Check them out, folks. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, Charles Goldman's with me here today, folks, and we're um, moving on. Uh, We're going to be talking about current times, not the Earth 4 billion billion years ago. Uh, We're going to be talking about the GOP, which um, seems to be struggling with an identity crisis. The real question is, what does the GOP look like post-Trump? And I'm not even sure that we're ready to talk post-Trump yet, Charles, but what do you think? Is, um, Is the GOP struggling to move beyond Trump or... Is there enough you know, enough um, energy within the party to try to maintain Trumpism as the core of its being? Um,
1: no, they, they they cannot move beyond Trump until Trump himself moves beyond
0: this earth. <laughs> um, and you mean the, when he's when he's ascended into into the great beyond? Yeah, like the cloud of I door, don't know. Given something? his
1: diet, he hasn't died up till now. It could be a long time. It could be like <laughs> Cheney. Uh, Let's change data, I'm saying. Right. Um, No, because the one thing that Trump said that was true, and I don't necessarily say prescient, it was fairly obvious, was that the most important thing about politicians is not what they believe, it's their ambition. And he knew that he could get away with saying anything on that stage during the 2015 primaries and that they would come sucking up to him again
0: down the road. So when he said he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and still not lose any support, he was basically right. Well, that he was talking there about his supporters, but he was right, talking yeah. about being able to
1: call you know Marco Rubio names to in, impugn Ted Cruz's wife and father at various times you know and other things and yet here who was going to go and take the case for the stolen election to the Supreme Court Ted, Ted Cruz. Cruz yeah so he understand and 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 Stefanic you know the this representative who was going to take this change place from New York is exactly the kind of person that Trump predicted would you know, pay fealty to him. Doesn't she tend to vote as a moderate Republican? Right, but it doesn't matter. Right, it's all about ambition, and and he's the way to where these politicians want to go.
0: And how does her ambition distinguish her, in in, in from Cheney in such a way that she's the she's the chosen one to receive that that honor that position? Oh, she's been
1: positioning herself. She did a lot of work during uh, the 2020 election in terms of a uh, geo. You know, uh, women in the GOP trying to recruit women to run for office in the GOP. She has her own separate pack. Uh, she's very ambitious. Okay,
0: but is it is it is it mostly about her fealty to Trump that's allowing her to advance within yes. the Republican caucus? Right.
1: That's all. That is the only criteria left. Okay. Because even even the other representatives that voted to impeach him have
0: really kind of shut their mouths as they've pilloried uh, Liz Cheney. <laughs> Right, so um, the GOP stuck on Trump.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean their formula is that they're hold they're going to hold the base, and they're going to suppress the vote. That's the formula. It's well, pretty the, clear. How how can we look at it any other way? What they're doing? Yeah, I mean talk about the the, the you know the Republicans in North Carolina are you know can't wait to re, to reapportion that state, and they literally said because now the Supreme Court said there's no reason to enforce the Voting Rights Act. Um, that it doesn't matter that the state is, you know, in North Carolina is a third Republican, a third registered Democrats, and like you know forty percent, uh, independents. Mm-hmm. They're going to get themselves ten out of fourteen seats.
0: Yeah, because of uh, because of gerrymandering because of, and yeah. reapportionment. And now Iowa doesn't have. Uh, you know, Iowa. Well, Iowa used to be pretty much one third of each independent Republican and Democrat. Although it has shifted uh, significantly to the Republican side in in recent years. Um. You know, it's still Iowa has a, has a has a redistricting process that is very fair, uh, that is done by a nonpartisan agency, mm-hmm. uh, that um, and, and the mechanisms to keep it rolling forward it basically prevent it from becoming politicized to a large extent. Despite that, you know, Iowa is as solid red as North Carolina or hey, even Alabama. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but, but you know, So you okay. Back to the GOP. That's that's kind of another conversation. So the um. The GOP, there's a struggle within the party. You've got the Mitt Romneys of the world. You've got the, let's call it, even though he's passed on, the John McCain wing, or here in Iowa, the Bob Ray wing. Mm-hmm. The people who are fiscal conservatives, uh, who have um, you know, some compassion. I mean, Bob Ray, longtime Republican governor here in Iowa, his, his most memorable attribute was extending a welcoming hand in, 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 you know, in working with the churches and other nonprofits to immigrants from Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. folks who were coming here because of the, the, the devastation of war. You don't see that in the Republican Party now. You don't find Jim Jordan to be somebody like that? <laughs> oh, maybe a little bit. Uh, no. <laughs> so, I mean, what, you know, where, but, but can the party exist? I mean, maybe it can exist to the next election as the party of Donald Trump. Uh, maybe it has to. Uh, it just structurally. But um, that's not a long-term formula for success. Not that Dem- not that the Democrats have found a long-term formula for success either. We're, let's, let's be clear about that. Mm-hmm. But the Republican Party as the party of Trump, that's not going to last. That can't last forever. It's got to be one, one more election cycle, maybe two and out. Well, I think that a lot of people are
1: in agreement on that. But... They've used their time and power, the Republicans, to find ways to guarantee it's going to last a lot longer than it should.
0: It already I mean, is. Yeah. I mean, look, look, how many how many popular votes have Republicans won for president in the past uh, 20 years? Uh, they've only won <laughs> one, I believe, <laughs> right. since Reagan. Yeah, only one since Reagan. Right. You know?
1: That's correct. Yeah. So they, they understand how to, um, you know, brandish absolute power. And they're shameless. Because— now, all of a sudden, they don't remember anything about what happened on January 6th. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. now it's it's back to Stop the Steal. And, 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 you know, what's going on in Arizona is a perfect example of how shameless they become. Tell us about that. Oh, well, there the um, the Senate, Arizona Senate, apportioned $115,000 to a firm known as Something Ninjas, <laughs> which is uh, a firm that has never done any kind of election audit. Uh, its funding, it comes from people like Linwood, you know, the the crazy Atlanta lawyer okay. who was part of the Stop the Steal, uh, with right. okay. Sydney, whatever Sydney Powell, and uh, the, the uh, gentleman who's the company's CEO is a, is an avowed Stop the Steal kind of, you know, a person, and they were doing things like they're out there auditing the votes again in Maricopa County, mm. right? They're not auditing the votes anywhere else. Only in the Maricopa County was a lot Which of people, tends to go Democrat. Well, and yeah. also because there's a lot of. People of color there, yeah. and so um, they're doing things like they were going to do ultraviolet examination to see if there was bamboo in the paper because they're claiming that actually these votes were sent over from China. I mean, this is like <laughs> QAnon actualized. Um, well, you,
0: you've, I, I had not heard this. Yeah, the sec-,
1: the sec, the for real. The Secretary of State of Arizona, who's a Democrat, sent a eight page letter that was made public. About all of the things they're doing that are absolutely not a legitimate audit. They you know, might they're be leaving bamboo the computers. bamboo in the paper. Well, they're looking for is bamboo. It, wait, Somebody wait, wait, said wait, actually is, they should look for rice. Is, I was going to say it's a rice paper. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, just just you know, in terms of how they're doing this audit, it's ludicrous. The, the computers are open, uh, unmonitored. People can change the numbers. Nobody knows how they're aggregating the votes. You know, they're writing on different pieces of paper. But who who, who And of course, 100... the observers, by the way, are from OAN the oh, impartial observers right. are from one, one american, american News. nation network yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right i mean and this is what trump was referring to about watch arizona okay cuz they're going to they're going to come out so and say is, he won by 200,000 votes so legislature appropriated that 115,000 dollars of taxpayer money yeah.
0: and is there anyone any any truly independent outside you know entity that's keeping an eye on it that's going to be able to look at the results and say hey you missed something here uh, no but there are, no. <laughs> you know, there, are,
1: there have been some other reporters who've said this is a joke,
0: yeah. you
1: know. And, 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 again, the Secretary of State there has made public exactly what they're doing there. Um, and it's really questionable, will they even have a legal right to do it? They did go to court and then they said they could do it. But, I mean, why a private company is doing this audit is totally yeah. unclear.
0: Yeah. You would think that would be the under the jurisdiction of the Secretary of State. Right. Yeah. Huh.
1: And, and they may have to cut it short because <clears> they need, they need okay. the arena they're doing
0: it in for high school graduation. <laughs>
1: Seriously, I mean, this is, this is how crazy <laughs> our country
0: has become. So back to the GOP. I mean, I, I, I think there is a genuine struggle within the party uh, between more traditional, more reasonable, shall we say, traditional conservatives that, that, that don't like what's happened under Donald Trump's leadership. But, um, yeah, they clearly are not the predominant voice. But I think that's going to shift. That's got to change. Maybe not after, not, not until after the next election. But don't you think it's going to shift at some point? Um
1: they, I don't know. I mean, they, at some point, yes. but a lot of the people who are of that traditional conservative type are either retiring or they're getting older. and the young people in the party are a lot like the, you know Marjorie Taylor Greens. I mean, let's face it, what they just have. They had a rally in Florida with Matt Gates, you know, sort of Jeff Epstein Jr yeah. uh, or Jeff Epstein Redux. And um, Margaret Taylor Green as the Marjorie. headliners. Yeah. 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 You know, so um, that's—I hate to say it, but that is the Republican Party right. They're not interested in governing. Yeah. They're interested in having power, but they're clearly not interested in governing. Gosh. What does it take to make Sarah Palin feel, seem reasonable? <laughs> well, but, I mean, that, but this is the problem in this country. You mm. want—you know, they want the Democrats to be bipartisan about the, you know, the, the things— yeah. To, you know the infrastructure bill and everything else but they don't want to govern yeah well. they don't want to put their name on anything that would help
0: anybody yeah. other than their donors all right hey we got to take a short break charles when we come back we're going to continue our conversation here we're going to be talking about oh a very sad moment for us the new york times did a story on iowa it ain't pretty uh it's relevant to the entire country especially those of you in red state usa we'll be back in a minute on the fallon forum gateway marketing cafe is des moines locally owned grocery and specialty food store With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
2: Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Hasfinley. You can also enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates too. Noche, on Walnut Street south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon and Charles Goldman with you here, folks. Thanks to the local businesses who make this program possible, including Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. You can check them out on their Facebook page. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. All right. Hey, welcome back to the program. So, um, oh, Charles, it's a, it's a pain. Unless it was a painful week to be in Iowan. Uh, you know, we've, we love it here in the heartland. We, we used to be really, really proud of our state. I'm still proud of our state. It's hard some days. And then, you know, you pick up the New York Times and you read a story about just how desperate things have become here for Democrats. Yeah, you I mean, you,
1: you were out there after, you know, really just right after the election. I mean, when you read the article, I mean, how did you feel in terms of it paralleling your experience?
0: Well, I, I know, I, I mean, I know one of the people featured in this story was, uh, you know, former state senator Tom Courtney, um, you know, a, a moderate Democrat, not exactly, not, certainly not a, a a liberal or progressive. Yeah, I mean, more, and I make a distinction between those. I think he's more to the liberal swing of the uh, Democratic pendulum. But, he's what, um, Cedar Rapids? No, no, uh, um, uh, Demo- Burlington. Burlington, right. Yeah, okay. The other river city, or one of the other river right. cities. But, um you know he got beat pretty good, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty bad, and uh, and you know it's it just it just becomes so. Um, I mean, look at Andy McKean. Andy, uh, Andy McKean, uh, a former Republican uh, senator and House member. He went, he was in both chambers. Mm-hmm. I served, I served with him a long time. Andy was very, I mean, a traditional conservative, very much pro-life, um, but but you know, you could you could talk with him and you could work with him. I mean, you could work with him on criminal justice. He was really, he he represents the community that has the animals state prison. Uh, You could work with him on on justice issues. You could work with him on agriculture, environmental issues. And um, he got so fed up with what he saw with Donald Trump doing to the party that he switched to Democrat. Same guy, always won by a big margin as a Republican. Now he's a Democrat. Got creamed. You know, and he tried to say to people, "I'm the same guy; I haven't changed at all." But no, you're not a you're not a Republican anymore. I'm not going to vote for you. So it just what's happened in Iowa is 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 kind of astounding to those of us who've been involved with politics for a long time. And I got to say, I think the New York Times did a pretty good job at kind of analyzing it and laying out the problem. And
1: the problem revolving around the monolithic message that gets out into rural communities.
0: Yeah, and that the Democrats have not been able to provide any compelling alternative message, mm-hmm. and part of that is not the Democratic Party's fault. Part of that is the is the problem that uh, that our public airwaves have been handed over to a couple big corporations whose only interest is in monetizing those through very radical right wing talk, uh, and and in doing so have moved the country dramatically to the political right, and. They've done that to Iowa. I mean, you think about how long people are in their cars for every day, and, mm-hmm. you, and you're, you know, in, you're, you're, you're in a rural community. You're in a tractor. Uh, you're driving your truck from, from, your, you know, your, your town out, you know, 15 miles from the county seat and back again. You're always listening. That's the station that comes in the loudest and clearest, mm-hmm. is the big station owned by the cor- the corporation that wants to put Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity. Glenn Beck, Michael Savage, all those on there. I think that's the biggest problem. And it's remarkable to me that Democrats haven't tried to tackle that, haven't tried to reestablish the Fairness Doctrine, haven't tried to repeal or rewrite the Telecommunications Act of 96. That, to me, is the biggest problem. But, you know, with that voice coming at people constantly, you know, it, it does make it harder for Democrats to get any kind of message out there but they have failed miser- miserably, even in even in the limited sense that they've tried to do that. Well, and it's
1: not just the rural communities. Uh, the Republicans have made huge inroads among the oh, yeah. Hispanic population in particular with yes. their use of radio the same way. Right. And, um, you know, and you know that I will at times watch Fox News. Yeah, I'm uh, sorry.
0: I'm sorry, Charles. And <laughs> it is like we're living
1: in two countries. I yeah. can guarantee you that... The results of this Arizona audit will come out, and we'll hear about it on the mainstream media and the centrist left media for about a day or two because everyone knows it's a joke. And we're going to hear about that for months yeah. on Fox News, about yeah. how he won Arizona
0: Well, and, Arizona and, and, with and especially on One votes. America News Network. I mean, yeah. <laughs> they've been asked to what? To, to um, monitor the, uh, They're monitoring the, the audit? They're <laughs> monitoring it, exactly. So, but, but I mean... The Democratic, we talked a lot earlier how and the extent to which the Republican Party is in disarray and an identity crisis. Have we become the party of Trump or is the Republican Party still hoping to be something else resembling what it was in the past? Well, the Democratic Party, you know, it's, this, it's this, disintegration dates back to Bill Clinton and the early, actually really the late 80s. When it decided that the only way to win elections was to become quote more moderate, and moderate meant more friendly to big business, Mm -hmm. it meant more willing to take lots of money from sources that might not, you know, that might might have an agenda that might not fit with the core message of the party. And so, you know, that's the party we still have, and it's the party that's in conflict within itself now. I mean, most I think most effectively represented by the Hillary Clinton versus Bernie Sanders, um, you know, election. Well, Which what's interesting is is
1: that the assumption that the Democrats made was that the demographic shift in the United States would create a uh, groundswell for Democrats. The problem is is that, as I said, uh, Republicans have been very effective in making appeals to, you know, minority communities. Well, and and working class communities. I mean, and and I was just going to say, and working class communities because they message. I mean, how more brilliant is a message than calling? anti-union legislation, right to work.
0: Well, and that that's they they've called it that for a long I time. I know,
1: but that's the point. Yeah. They message in a, such a way that yeah. the Democrats instead are putting, you know, out on their websites reams of paper of of actual plans to do something. Right. But
0: it doesn't fit the way information yeah. is is passed anymore. You heart. know, a good example about right to work. When when I was a legislator, I would uh, every year send out a questionnaire to my constituents and I would literally get it into the, um, the hands of all 12,000 homes in my district. Uh, right. and, and, I, and one of the questions one year was, do you support Iowa's right-to-work law? Now, my district had the highest percentage of union households in, of any district in the state.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You want to know what the vote came back on that? Like 90% for No, well, give my constituents more credit than that, girls. <laughs> it was a 50-50 split which uh-huh. is incre- it should have gone back 90 to 10 against right, right to work but it was right. a 50-50 split because the messaging was so effective and and that is exactly what's going on and plus let's face it we have people getting
1: news from Facebook which is nothing but a propaganda machine
2: <laughs> and
1: um and and people are at this point because of the personification of populism that Trump has brought to you know to the market they want to be it's almost like they want to be lied to you know, and and, and there's an. Oh, elder, I, I wouldn't go that far. Well, it's like lying Nobody to won. me. Nobody wants tell me, to be lied to. Well, they know they certainly don't seem to be caring one way or the other. I mean, you know, you ask people, they'll, they'll you know they'll they'll say the Republican thing. We're against regulation. So the next question should be which ones. Okay. Oh, are you against? the laws that prohibit child labor are you against uh, laws that require minimum wage well, which regulations exactly are, are impeding this economy they
0: might be against the minimum wage laws <laughs> yeah it's possible
1: you know but i mean i will tell you i read the story on christy nome you know the south dakota governor yeah yeah and and she personifies so much of what rural the rural country has become i mean she has a legitimate you know she's a rancher and farmer and everything else but her father dies and the uh, when they file their taxes, the government asks for some uh, an estate tax. It turns out that they could have avoided paying estate taxes by simply having redone their will, which her father had never done for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the amount of money that they paid off to the government over five years was $120,000. And she tells a this, this story that the day of the funeral, the, government, the IRS showed up with the $120,000 bill. Now, the interesting thing, of course, about this $120,000, which she borrowed from the government at 2% interest, was that her farm and ranch was getting, during that same period of time, over $4 million in subsidies from the government. So this is this is what we've become as a country. We're a bunch of whiners. We're a bunch of entitlement that goes from the top to the bottom but everybody thinks everybody else is whining more than they are so, you know, and is m- less entitled.
0: Most, uh, most uh, right-wing talk radio listeners would agree with the assessment of most of Americans are whiners. Right, but they're the but, biggest <laughs> ones. See, that's <laughs> well, that, my problem. They, they wouldn't that's say that. Yeah, no.
1: they, 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 they live in this faux world of pseudo-I'm independent, and then they suck at the teat of the federal government.
0: Mm.
1: You know, and someone needs to call them on that. And that's you. Right, but I mean, no, somebody, see, that's that's the point. If we don't have politicians with courage to call things what they
0: are, this is how we're going to be governed for the rest of our time. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, again, I, I, don't, again, I, I, I blame the abandonment of our public airways more than anything, but I also blame the Democratic Party for not uh, being willing to stick with its tradition its roots it's its commitment to the middle class to the working people to the to the you know it just, I just I I think um traditional progressive populism uh, that existed very strongly back in the early part of the 1900s mm-hmm. you know is what could save the Democratic Party but it's going to be a tough road to hoe because they're gonna have to they're gonna have
1: to you know get themselves free from wokeness from every every you know everybody's uh, you know, individual interest. Yeah, and understand that people out in other places don't see the issues the same way mm-hmm. the, that the people yeah. on on Twitter and the people on the
0: coast see it. Yeah, and that's a legitimate critique of what the. You know, we'll have to talk more about wokeness sometime. I want to get into that conversation. I got to run to a break though. Uh, Charles, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's pleasure as Tra- always. Charles Goldman, our guest, <laughs> folks. When we come back. Anessa Kostasovic is gonna join us. We're gonna talk about slow fashion or the confluence of fashion and climate change. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great
2: community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, again, thanks to our local business partners who helped make this program possible. Thanks to Noche Jazz and Cabaret. That's Des Moines' premier jazz location, located just south of the Sculpture Park. They're open again for business, and you can also catch the concerts online. That's Noche Jazz and Cabaret. I would like to welcome to the program Anessa Kostazovic. She was the youngest Iowan ever elected to the state legislature at age 23 back in 2011, and she's also the first Bosnian-American, Bosnian-American elected to any public office in the U.S. Anessa, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you, Ed. I appreciate the opportunity. And just a, cl- a small correction, I was 24 by the time I was born in. Oh, okay.
0: Well, you campaigned when you were 23. Okay. Gotcha. Thank you for the correction. And you are, you're, um... You've got a new passion. May say, Can we say a passion for fashion? And fashion um, with I a social like conscience. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know I'm deeply concerned about climate change. And uh, I think we often think about food and travel and housing and energy, but we often don't think about clothing. And you put some thought into this.
3: Yes, I was... Um I was absolutely shocked to find out the impact of what we wear, the impact our clothes have on the environment, uh, especially when I found out it's the second largest polluter in the world, just after the oil industry. Wow. I mean, the impact is immense.
0: So what exactly would be the impact of fashion on the environment, on clothing production? Um,
3: there are. There are many. Um, those include on our water pollution, on water consumption, all the microfibers in our water streams, oceans, uh, the waste um, chemicals, greenhouse gas emissions, um, the soil, the impact of soil degradation, and the rainforest destruction. I mean, the list is yeah. um, very long.
0: Okay, and, and so shopping at uh, Goodwill is the uh, the way out of this, or no? There's got to be there's got to be a multi pronged uh approach to the problem i assume
3: yes there are many uh many things that we can do but yes obviously secondhand um, um secondhand shopping is obviously a big a part of that solution um, we're using, recycling as much as we can i uh, and the good thing is is uh, depressing as the statistics are on the environment and fashion there's some hope i think um, we're seeing a trend where more and more people are interested in um, simply uh, buying less uh, and the items that yeah. they do buy they might be more focused on quality and the impact and the sustainability of it that it has.
0: So depressing and hopeful. Let's give, give me a little bit of what, what's, we'll save the hope for later. Um, <laughs> what What are some of the, what you would call depressing facts about the clothing industry?
3: Like for me, I mean, just the overall, just the carbon emissions that it has, but one of the big concerning pieces is water, uh, water quality. Uh, it's not just, um, it doesn't just cause pollution, but the consumption as well. Uh, for example, there's 1.5 trillion liters of water there that are used by the fashion industry every single year. Uh, and you compare that to what research shows that we have about 700 and seven hundred and fifty million people in the world that did not have access to drinking water.
0: Well, wow. yeah. Um so okay.
3: it's huge. Yeah. Um and then I mean the list goes on, twenty percent of all industrial water pollution is caused by the dyeing of our textiles.
0: Really? Twenty percent? Yes. Okay. Yes. And those so, are those um, are chemical dyes, I assume?
3: Yes, most of those are, and so, you know, that goes in our, you know, water streams, and as you know, that affects everything else. Um, Mm. But another big, uh, I guess this could be a fun or a depressing fact, however you (laughs) want to take it, but (laughs) I've become so conscious, the more research I do and the more things you see on how it impacts everything around us, it takes about 700 gallons of water to produce just one cotton shirt.
0: Wait, wait, 700 gallons? To produce one cotton shirt okay so that that so i'm assuming that most clothing is made by a few big businesses correct yes it has been uh
3: that's that's correct and there's a lot of waste
0: there yeah so if if the industry was to become more decentralized uh open the open the gates to more and more smaller producers i mean is that is that feasible and if if that happened would that be more environmentally friendly
3: um, it's not just that. I think number one is we need to. Um, there's there's so many things we need to do, but a couple of the big ones that jump at us through the research is we need to buy less. Yeah. I mean, our landfills, our landfills are. I mean, it's too much. Too many clothes are in the landfills, and it says uh, research shows that eighty five percent of all textiles go into landfills each year.
0: Eighty five percent. So we need. Well. Wow. Eighty-five percent. Sorry. Mm, yes. Wow. Okay, that's a lot. I when I'm um, someday, Anessa, I'm going to have to show you the suit jacket that I wear when I'm gardening. Uh, I call it my cat and garden coat, and um, it is well beyond what any normal person would want to save for any function at all. But it works really well when I'm out weeding or or walking my cat. My cat likes to sit on my shoulder. I walk her around the uh, <laughs> garden on my shoulder. But yeah, it's um. I think, isn't it a hard sell though to say to people, hey, I know you don't like this article of clothing. Uh, it's going to end up in the landfill. Can you figure out how to continue to use it for another couple years? Is that a hard argument to make to people?
3: Um, I think in the past it has been, and that's where I like to also talk about hope. Um, you know, as depressing as the statistics are and the impact that it's having on the environment. But uh, I think that COVID pandemic has accelerated uh, more um, more individuals to be aware of uh, the the decisions that they make in terms of uh, what they wear. And so I think I just read somewhere it says seventy percent of women were are now prepared to buy secondhand fashion more than they were four years ago. It was forty five percent. So people are becoming mm, wow. more more aware of. You know, wanting to buy less, and that's why you're seeing a lot of these, uh, even big retailers now talking about sustainability. Yeah. Uh, the resale market, uh, those websites that sell secondhand items, has um, surpassed all expectations. And in the next, uh, I think, five or ten years, they're saying it might even, um, it might uh, overtake the retail um portion of clothes that are where they're sold
0: so that's interesting and that's encouraging but is there pushback uh within the industry i'm assuming the industry doesn't like that trend
3: um you know there's always well it's actually interesting you say that because some of the bigger resellers and those big ones in the fast fashion world like let's say h&m now they're all starting to talk about um i shouldn't say all but many of those are starting to talk about sustainability and are starting to incorporate it Mm -hmm. so uh, whether they are or not you know you can do those studies but it's definitely uh, they know that the consumers um, are changing Uh, people are becoming more aware aware of it and it's not just the younger generation it used to be what they thought oh it's only gen z or millennials no it's it's other consumers all across Mm -hmm. obviously for those it's much uh, higher but it's happening, and I just think um, you know it gives us hope that maybe you know we can um, solve this crisis in the near future.
0: So, and you've and you've uh, you're trying to do your part in part in partially by forming your own business that is going to focus on this, correct?
3: Yeah. So I have a, a small startup that I've been working on, and I'm working on launching my first um, item. So. For me, I became frustrated. Like I, I guess a lot of other consumers are when I learned about the environmental impact. But also, as a woman, you know, I have a lot of clothes, and sometimes I don't want to. I don't want to buy much anymore. <laughs> and I know, Ed, maybe that's something that you might not, you know, be able to relate to. No, but- as, a,
0: as as a, as a minimalist kind of guy, I have a really small wardrobe. It's embarrassingly small. I'm proud to say. <laughs>
3: No, well, I'm, I'm working on getting there, and that's where this whole concept of what I'm doing is trying to design a minimalist type of wardrobe for a woman so you can do more uh, with less. Uh, oh. So, for example, the top that I'm uh, working on is this shirt. Uh, it's a sleeveless shirt. Uh, it would be one top. You can wear it for different ways. So one top oh, really? four styles.
0: Wow. Okay. That's clever. That's very clever. Uh,
3: yeah and I even had a blazer that um I had um, somebody make for me, and it it was reversible, so you know reversible clothing and just uh, being able to do more with less and we can design them that way, mm. so it's more classy, but you can still be a little bit fashionable, but you can simply yeah. add it your own flavor and make it you
0: That's a great idea. I just like to wear a shirt inside out once in a while, but that's uh, what you've got going on makes more sense. <laughs>
3: Yes, and it makes more sense when you actually see the photos, mm. you know, when you visually see it, than when I'm just talking about it, too.
0: Yeah. Well, Anessa, this is very interesting. And if folks want to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing, perhaps share their own stories, how do they reach you?
3: Uh, they can reach me on social media, um, usually Anessa, Anessa,
0: or Anessa K. Design. Anessa K. Design. Okay.
3: Yes, or they can go on my website. It's just www.anessak.com. And
0: that's A N E S A. Yeah, A N E S A, right? Yes. Got yes. it. Okay. Anessa, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Well, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. All
0: right. Folks, we've been talking with Anessa Koscizovic. We'll be back in a minute. Kathy Burns with Birds and Bees Urban Farms is going to join us. We're going to talk about drought and what's happening. Uh, through the drop monitoring efforts of the uh, of University in Nebraska, back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online, and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
3: Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
0: Welcome back to the Family Forum. Thanks again to our partners who helped make this program possible, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store, a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper open seven days a week. You can also do online shopping, and shopping not shopping, shopping. You can do online shopping, and the Gateway team will deliver your groceries curbside. Check them out, folks. That's gatewaymarket.com. Well, I'd like to welcome Kathy Burns to the program. We're going to be talking about drought. Uh, Yeah, drought, um, getting worse, serious matter. Kathy, welcome to the program.
2: Thank you. Uh, Headline from the Washington Post in January of this year was, Drought is the sleeper weather story you'll hear more about in 2021. And I'm wondering why it's the sleeper story. (laughs) Also, the very first line says, Drought is an insidious climate threat. However, later in the story, they comment it's partly related to climate change, which worsens drought by increasing temperatures, uh, thereby turbocharging the loss of moisture from plants and soils. So there's no mention of human beings in there anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe. We need water, too. I don't know. What do you think? I, I'd I, like to drink a toast to water. Here we to go. To water. Um. <laughs> here, here <chink. laughs> There, you heard the chink now. <laughs> oh, okay, so, um, you, you know, it's... There are so many different aspects to climate change. Uh, Flooding, is I mean, that's been one of the major problems in Iowa. Um, A 500-year flood in 1993, a second 500-year flood 15 years later in 2008, nearly the same thing again in 2010. And in recent years, we've seen uh, unusual dryness. But it's nothing like it is out west. It just, it's, um, I mean, the the predictions are coming, uh, let's call them, chickens are coming mm. home to roost, and uh, I, I, I don't, I mean, I'd love to see the drought end. This is um, this is a really serious problem. Yeah, as you said, for plants, but guess who depends uh-huh. on plants? Well, most of us.
2: <laughs> right. We like to eat them, and we need them, and we like to drink the water, and uh, you mentioned out west yeah. in uh, on the U.S. drought monitor, and that's always an interesting um place to look up the the charts and the data.
0: That's out of the uh, University of Nebraska, I believe, at Lincoln. Lincoln, yeah. yeah.
2: And it says, out west, 38% of the region is currently in moderate to exceptional drought, with the most severe conditions centered on the four corner states, California and Nevada. So, uh, interestingly, too, it says California... Uh, in California, conditions deteriorated on this week's map in response to a combination of factors including back-to-back dry water years, above normal temperatures, below normal snowpack, that's a huge concern, right. and drought impacts agriculture, uh, ecosystem health, water supply, and recreation and, and our the, lives. And there's a
0: lot of people living in the... I, I've never... When I walked through Phoenix back in 2014 with the Great March for Climate Action, I... I, I, I was hard pressed to understand how Phoenix even exists uh, currently, but when you look at the uh, look at the the, the prognosis for uh, water shortages, drought, um, c- competition for a, a limited resource, uh, the draining of aquifers, there's not a viable future for a city like Phoenix, and that's uh, that's disturbing because there's a lot of people. We're going to have to go somewhere else. And we we talk about that being the phenomenon on the coastal communities Mm -hmm. where sea level rise is already happening and likely to accelerate in a big way, especially as uh, the Thwaites Glacier, huge glacier in the Antarctic melts. You know, we're going to be getting we're going to be seeing migration from, I mean, significant migration, I think, from two areas of the U.S. to you know, you know, states and regions that have better access to water, but even Iowa. I mean, we're mm-hmm. even having a drought problem here.
2: Well, you mentioned we had floods. Now we have drought, and some people will use that as a reason to discredit the climate change hoax that yeah. some people think it is. Right. It's not a hoax. Um, <laughs> that's part of it. In fact, severe floods can deplete the soils ability to absorb moisture from drought and so have the runoff.
0: I'm curious what does the current situation look like in terms of drought uh, compared to last year year before have has, has the University of Nebraska or other weather interested entities been monitoring that?
2: Right. The drought monitor um, website uh, I went took a look from uh, 10 years no 20 years ago to to this year in May they of back each of those far. years. Yes, That's they go good. back to 27, 20, 2001, oh. I think. Okay, so 20 years it, you know, Anyway, <laughs> I looked back 20 years and I saw that there was a bump in the, the number of, just in the extreme drought, not even the exceptional drought, but the, the second to the worst type of drought. There was a bump in the percentage of Areas that had extreme drought in 0203 and that was at about 11 12 percent of areas in the country with with extreme drought and then again in um, between 2011 and 2014 there was a, a higher bump that percentage was up to the um, 17 18 percent mark and this year it's bumped up to 21 percent. So that's wow. those are those are comparing May right. in those years for 20 years. So the bumps are getting higher of the percentage of states and areas impacted by severe drought. And,
0: and not to and not to forget that uh, concurrent with this, the the prevalence of uh, severe wildfires has been increasing dramatically in the western states as well. But you know we can't again. No state is free of the impacts of climate change, and many, many states are going to be impacted by drought, including the the grain belt, as we call where we live here in Iowa. And, uh, you know, there's some parts of the country that are irrigated. You go out to western Nebraska, you see a lot of pivots, a lot of irrigation pivots, a mm-hmm. lot of circular uh, agriculture going on. Uh, but that's all dependent upon an aquifer, the Oglala aquifer. Mm-hmm. And that's not a limited resource either. That's, uh, that's dependent upon uh, other, other water, uh, water sources for its, its, uh, its health. But uh, here in Iowa, we don't, we don't use, for the most part, we don't use irrigation. Well, uh, in our farm, in the city, we do use irrigation because we're growing vegetables. But row crops, you know, uh, corn, soybeans, uh, hay, alfalfa, uh, that tends to rely on rain and so if you've got a really bad year you've got a really bad crop and I'm you know I mean, we saw some right now the conditions in Iowa are not as bad as they were last year or even we, earlier this year but it's I don't see that holding
2: when we went out on walks we were crossing mm. uh, River, there are a couple of rivers that converge right in Des Moines, the Raccoon and the Des Moines River. Yeah, the
0: Raccoon River, right, which we are drinking water from right Cheers now. Again. Cheers again. which is also the, one of the 10th dirtiest rivers in the U.S. Uh, thank you, agriculture, for helping with that problem.
2: Well, the, <laughs> the drought was so severe last year that it, you could have walked across the river and always found, except for a little bit of maybe ankle-deep, water there was you could have walked across the river using mostly dry ground yeah. and that's there's an alarming sight right yeah. there
0: and this being the uh, it's spring those rivers should be a lot deeper and and the fact that they're so low right now should be a great concern to anybody so you know obviously we've got to stop causing climate change we've got to prepare for the impacts and one of the impacts is a water shortage. So I look at all the ways in which we waste water. Mm-hmm. And I think we could be doing so much better at managing our water usage. Yep, yeah.
2: yeah. Um, also, getting off of climate, uh, or getting off of fossil fuels right now. Yeah. It's, it's got to happen.
0: Yeah. Well, Kathy, thank you uh, so much for joining us, uh, folks. Uh, thanks for tuning in to today's program. Uh, thanks again to Kathy Burns, one of our guests, and uh, Charles Goldman, also Anessa Kaj- Kajazovic. And uh, we'll be uh, we'll be hearing more from her. I think she's got some interesting stuff going on. Uh, thanks again to our business partners, uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe, uh, Architecture by Synthesis, Noche Jazz and Cabaret, Story County Veterinary Clinic, and our nonprofit allies as well. Uh, thanks to you, our audience, we couldn't do it without you. And thanks to the stations in Iowa and around the country that rebroadcast this program. You can always uh, download the podcast on on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. Again, thanks for joining us. This is Ed Fallon, your host for the Fallon Forum.